Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen, and it's good to have you with us today. Uh, we're in a series called You're Not Far, and today's topic is loophole religion, and that'll make a little more sense in a few minutes. Um, one thing no one had to teach us as children, or if you have children, you don't have to teach your children, is to exploit loopholes. Um, for example, you say go clean up your room and they push everything under the bed. They don't really put it away. They cleaned up their room. Not the way you want them to, but they did. Um, you say clean off your plate. When you turn your head, they dump the food in the trash can. They cleaned up their plate. Not the way you intended, but they followed the rule. We had one of our children. We, I won't tell you which one. We had a rule once you graduated from high school, you get a job and you paid rent unless you were going to college. Well, he happened to have a full-time job. Oh, I said it was a he, so I eliminated one. But anyway, <laughs> uh, had a full-time job, and his work paid for him to take one class. And he exerted the, or implemented this loophole saying, I don't have to pay rent this month, or this several months. And, and for some reason, we went along with him. But anyway, uh, so you don't have to teach people to do that. We, we are good at that, aren't we, by, by nature. Definition is this. A way around the rules that don't technically break the rules. It's like those examples I gave you. Well, we want to apply that, obviously, to the religious world. So we have a word for people that do that in the religious world and some other, other areas. We call them hypocrites. So when a religious person, or actually any person, exploits a loophole in their own religion. Um, now, Jesus had another word for hypocrites. He used that word too, but he had another word. So just quickly in Matthew, he records this, uh, what Jesus called some religious folks. I don't think it's nice to call people names, but Jesus did it. Uh, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. You are like, he gives us an example, whitewashed tombs. So you got this tomb and you power wash it, and you repaint it, and it looks really nice and shiny. But in reality, what's on the inside? He says, beautiful on the outside, filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Doesn't smell too good either, I'm imagining, right? So, people that exhort, uh, uh, exhort, uh, anyway, I can't think of that word. Anyway, resort, resort, that's the word. Resort to loopholes in religion are called hypocrites. So we're in a series about, uh, about a character, about a, a historical person. His name is Jesus, not any Jesus, but Jesus of 2,000 years ago that lived in, uh, from Nazareth and lived in the uh, uh, nation of Israel. And so this is his story. Uh, it's not told by him, it's told by somebody else by the name of Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, Probably an uneducated man, so he probably didn't really write it. He probably recited it to somebody else. This is probably about 30 years after Jesus. The church had started growing. He'd, he'd been a leader in the church and, and so forth. And he's in Rome. He's in prison. And he's reciting this, kind of like his memoirs about his time with Jesus. Now, why 30 years later? I'm not sure. Maybe he didn't have to take the time to do it. Uh, maybe he was now mature enough to do it. I know after 30 years, you kind of only remember the highlights. Maybe it made it a shorter version. Um, this is Peter's story of his time with Jesus. 
And the person that wrote it down by the name name of John Mark, so we call this story, part of our Bible, the Gospel of Mark, or Mark's telling, Peter's telling through Mark, the story of Jesus. And eventually takes this document to Egypt, it gets copied and then uh, passed around, especially in the nation of Israel. Something really important to remember, especially if you have some objections with quote-unquote the Bible. When Mark and the other gospel writers were writing, they weren't writing the Bible. They were, in this case, Mark was documenting Peter's experience with Jesus. So this is a true story about true people in, in, in history and a certain time and a place. And we said Jesus' bottom line message was this. It's different than our bottom line message because ours involves Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, Obviously, that wasn't his message. So his message was the time promised by God has come at last. So you've been waiting for a long time, over a thousand years, for the, they would use the term Messiah to come. And he said, now the, the wait's over. It's always nice to hear the wait's over, isn't it? The kingdom of God is near. It's close. It's not far. It's going to be a different kingdom than you expect, but it's, it, 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 it's almost here. It's an king, internal kingdom, not an external kingdom. Your response, my response needs to be to this message. First, his audience, repent of your sins. Now, we usually think of that as a negative thing. I've done wrong things, so I need to uh, apologize to God for it. Well, the thing we did was negative, but, but repentance is a positive thing. God gives us forgiveness. And then the other part of the message is really positive. Believe the good news. Now, this is good news. This new kingdom has come. It's near. And so that's good news. Um, now, something we're going to notice last year and this last week and this week is that Jesus got angry. The problem is he could do, get angry without sinning. Most of us can't because most of our anger is because of something that somebody's done to us, right? It's kind of personal. When did Jesus get angry? Jesus got angry when people used um, religion, the laws of God, to hurt God's people or people God loves. That's what made Jesus angry. Now, we looked at one example last week, and it was uh, chapter 2, 27, when Jesus said this, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath wasn't to to make life difficult for you, to restrict you. It was a gift from God to you to benefit you. All God's laws are for that benefit. So we, we interpreted it this way. God loves you more than he loves his rules or laws or commandments. He loves you more. So the Sabbath is for your benefit, not to... Got to keep the rules. Got to keep the Sabbath. Now, where we left off last week was this. Something really bizarre. Part of the Bible you probably didn't even know was there. (laughs) Jesus has been doing all this ministry and his family comes to see him. Evidently, they weren't involved up to this point. His family comes to see him. And uh, it's his mom, his siblings, his cousins, we don't know who. Just his family. So notice (laughs) their interpretation of their viewpoint of what Jesus was doing. The family heard what was happening. They tried to take him away. All right, we need to take you away. Do you take a rest? No, no. Why do they want to take him away? <laughs> He's out of his mind, they said. They thought he was crazy. His family, most likely his mother, 
was in, involved in this. Now, that's bad enough, right? But what did, did the religious leaders think of Jesus and his ministry? It's even worse. <laughs> well, I think it's worse. Teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan. So is it worse to be crazy or possessed? I don't know. Uh, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. And Jesus, if you read the text, he goes on to explain, well, this is a silly argument. It's like an army fighting against itself. <laughs> that, that's, that's crazy. So Satan isn't going to fight Satan. So he did away with their argument. So then there's some stories. We call them parables, some teachings. And he did some healings of some sick people, and he did some other, we quote, say, miracles. And then we get to chapter 6, and I want to pick up the story here. They're, they're operating around the Sea of Galilee, and so at times they would cross the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Now, you can, we were there two years ago. You can actually see across. It's not that far. So the crowds would get kind of overwhelming, or whatever, for whatever reason, they were too tired. They would get in the boat and go across to kind of get a break. Well, it wasn't very effective. Uh, after they crossed the lake, they landed in Gennesaret. They brought the boat to the shore and climbed out. What happened? <laughs> people were there, and the people recognized Jesus. Jesus is a, a celebrity now. Everybody recognizes him. He can't go anyplace without people saying, hey, you're Jesus. So the text goes on. They ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats wherever they heard he was. So Jesus has been healing sick people. And so, if you're sick or some loved one of yours is sick, hey, this faith healer, we would call them today, is, is in town. Let's go see him. Maybe he'll, he'll heal us. So, the crowds kept coming. So, whenever he went into the villages or the cities or even the countryside, they brought sick out to the marketplace. So, there's all this uh, activity. There's all this energy. There's all this excitement. There's all this hustle and bustle all around Jesus. So these were people that were coming to Jesus to get something from him. They were people in favor of him, you would say. But that eventually some people showed up on the other side of the fence, so to speak. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, for the disciples, I, I, I'm assuming, I'm pretty sure, they were seeing this as an opportunity. Okay, Jesus, eventually you're going to be the king in Jerusalem, so you're going to need the support of the religious leaders of Judaism because you're going to be the head, head of Judaism. Um, that's not what happened. Uh, that's not what Jesus was trying to make happen. And these folks heard about this uh, new rabbi up in, uh, we'll show you a map, up around the area of, of the Sea of Galilee, which is just right of the yellow, those of you here in present, yellow area called Galilee. And uh, Jerusalem's down in the orange area next to the Dead Sea. It's like a 90-mile trip. So these folks have traveled, these religious leaders have traveled probably four or five days to travel this 90, 90 miles to check out this new rabbi. Now, it wasn't with good intentions, evidently. And say, oh, this is this new rabbi, he can, you know, promote Judaism. No, they were jealous of the crowds that he was attracting, and they made it their mission to try and uh, uh, get Jesus a bad reputation. 
So, they've come up to where Jesus is, traveled a long ways. The text says this, they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Now, this isn't because your hands were dirty, (laughs) necessarily. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they've poured water over their cupped hands in a special ceremonial way required by the ancient traditions, and that term is important. It isn't Bible, it isn't God's law, or you're going to say or Moses' law. This is something they would call oral tradition or oral law. These were rules or laws that got developed with the good intention of keeping the written laws, but they became kind of ridiculous, like this one. So is Jesus going to buy into this? Oh, yeah, 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 my disciples need to do that. No, 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 he's basically going to say they're, they're silly. And they, part of the problem is they make God look petty. These are kind of silly things, right? God is petty, God, our guide's kind of small. It, it's important to him that I do this kind of ceremonial washing my hands before I eat. So, Peter's telling this, and evidently that Jesus really drilled down on this at the time. So the Pharisees and the teachers of religious laws, law ask him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without, again, first performing this hand-washing ceremony. So instead of being neutral or still of being, you know, this, Jesus probably is a good guy, there's already this tension. They've already pointed to something, objection they have with Jesus' way of doing things, right? Now, as often we find out, when somebody asks Jesus a question, does he always answer the question? <laughs> no. He often goes off and says whatever he wants and really gets to the root of the issue or the problem in this case. So, they ask the question, here's Jesus' response. You hypocrites! <laughs> Not very complimentary, right? You're a hypocrite. And one of the reasons they're a hypocrite is this. Isaiah, now Isaiah is real law, right? Real scripture, real uh, written law. Uh, We call it our Old Testament, but it was first century Jewish Bible, right? Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Now I'm thinking, if somebody came to me and said, uh, somebody in the Bible was right when they prophesied about me, I thought, well, that's kind of a cool thing, right? That's a good thing. Uh, Not necessarily. Of course, in this case, no. What was the prophecy? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Um, They say the right things. They look okay, but inside, you know, they're they're somewhere else. (laughs) They're not meaning what they're saying. And consequently, that's part of the definition of a hypocrite, right? And he drills down even more. He says, their worship is a farce. That's a harsh word, isn't it? It's a sham. It's not real. Worship. They go to worship like we are right now, and it's not true. It's not meaningful. Why? For they teach man-made ideas, these, these oral rules they made up, as commands from God. Now, here's the problem. We have the written law, commands of God, and we have these man-made rules or religious rules, And they are teaching these equal to these. In fact, worse than just equal, you ignore God's laws and substitute your own tradition. So they're ignoring these and 
trying to enforce these over here, these man-made ones, and ignoring the real law, God's uh, written law. And it's kind of a game, I think, most religion, or maybe all religions do, especially religious leaders. We make up these rules, people like me, it's dead up front. We make up these rules that I can keep. <laughs> it makes me look better than other people. So they kept that, you know, they could do that. They, they'd wash their hands all the time. And the problem is anytime we put our interpretation of the law or God's word above or even equal to God's word, that's idolatry. We're making an idol out of something we've made as opposed to what God's made or God's given us. Text goes on. Jesus isn't finished yet. <laughs> then he said, you are skillfully, you know, all right, you're good at this, but good at what? Sidestepping God. That's kind of loopholing, right? Sidestepping God's law. Law is here. You're going around it. What reason? In order to hold on to your own tradition, these silly, if you will, Rules you made up for yourself. And so, Jesus is a good teacher. He says, I'm going to give you an example. Help you understand. Help us understand. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Ten Commandments. This is number five. Honor your father and mother. Okay? Everybody knows that? No, no secret there. One of the Ten Commandments. Now, what they did and what we often do when we look at the Old Testament <laughs> is we take the law without the consequences, without the punishment. So what was the consequence or punishment of not honoring your father and mother or not keeping this commandment? And my wife used to share this with our kids when they were disrespectful to her. Anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. They'd go out and stone them. Now, they literally didn't do this very often. But if you're going to take the law seriously, you need to take the punishment seriously. You can't separate the two. Or Jesus said you couldn't. So, in our context, let me ask you the question. Do we honor our fathers and mothers? Because Moses told us to. Is that why we do it? I don't think so. We do it for a different reason. Um, bring that text up, please. Uh, is that the reason we do it? No, we have a new covenant, a new set of rules or laws. We have a new king. Our king is Jesus. And so I put it this way. Christians honor their fathers and mothers, or we should, because Jesus instructed us to love one another the way he loves us. That's the next slide, guys. There you go. That's the reason we do it. Now, aren't parents one another's? They're people, right? <laughs> okay. So we are to love or honor our parents because Jesus instructs us to love everyone. <clears throat> so he goes on. You say, now how, how are they loopholing this, this ten, one of the Ten Commandments? He says, you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, can't help you. What's, what is he talking about here? Well, they had this law or rule they'd made up. It's this. I vowed to give to God what I would have to give to you. 
All right, so they, here's how it went. All right. I could make, I vowed all my worldly possessions to the temple. But it doesn't go in effect until I die. So I can do what I, technically what I want with this money. But anytime I don't want to do something like help my parents, I can just say, I can't, can't help you. It all belongs to the temple. So Jesus said this way. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. Uh, you may be hungry, but I can't help you. All, the, all my money belongs to the temple. Now you can see how disrespectful that is, how dishonoring it is to the, the spirit of that commandment, right? To honor your parents. Now obviously back then it was inconvenience and expensive to take care of your parents. So people look for what? A loophole so they wouldn't have to do that. And so what it boils down to is this. We can hurt somebody I hurt them in this case by not helping them and then pray a vow and then our conscience be clear. So we're technically breaking the Ten Commandments but our conscience is clear because we found or created this loophole. And Jesus is very angry about this and so he called them names and now he says this, you've canceled You've gotten rid of the Word of God. Eliminated. You know, they cancel, you know, cancel your doctor's appointment. You can't go see the doctor, right? So you've canceled the Word of God. You've eliminated it in order to hand down <clears throat> your own tradition. Now, okay, that's bad enough, right? That pretty sounds pretty bad. If that's all only this loophole they were using, uh, you know, that would be understandable. <clears throat> But what's Jesus say next? And this is only, oh, I'm finished reading. This is only one example among many others. So they had all kinds of loopholes. They were trying to keep the, uh, <clears throat> keep the letter of the law without the spirit of the law. And then Jesus called this crowd. Remember, there's always a crowd. He said, all of you listen, he said, and try to understand. So this was hard for them. They're, He's saying things that are contrary to what they've been taught, what they've heard all their lives, what their religious leaders have been telling them. So this would be disturbing as you were hearing it. But on the other hand, it would, how liberating could it be? Okay, I don't have to follow all these loophole rules. I just follow, you know, God's rules, God's laws. So I was trying to think of some point in Scripture where... <clears throat> A writer gives, gives us an illustration of this. So I'm quoting from John, one of the other of Jesus' disciples. He said this, If someone says, I love God, I love you, God, but hates a fellow believer, can't stand you, you're a liar. What are you lying about? I'm lying about, I love you, God. What is he talking about? If we don't love people we can see, how can we love God we cannot see? The way I've explained it to you folks in the past is, if you hurt one of my kids, don't invite me out for lunch. I'm not coming. We hurt God's kids. God's not happy. So it's a matter of priorities. So the text, uh, Scripture goes on, text goes on. There's some more teachings, and there's some more healings. 
And then we're going to skip down to chapter 8, verse 31. And, and um, here's a big bombshell, <laughs> if you will. Um, I think Jesus was wise in not starting off with this in his ministry, or he probably wouldn't have had any followers. Uh, but he had the wisdom to know when to, to uh, insert this into his teaching, especially with his, you know, his close-knit group of disciples. So here he is. Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man, that means me, Jesus, must suffer. Okay, don't like the sounds of that. You're supposed to be the Messiah, you're going to start suffering? And not just suffer a little, but suffer many terrible things. Boy, that's not good news, is it? If that's not bad enough, and be rejected by the elders and leading priests and teachers of religious law. Well, wait a minute, how, how is this going to be possible, Jesus? <laughs> you're going to be Messiah. You're going to be the king over these folks. How does it work that they're going to reject you? That, that doesn't make sense. And then he says something I don't think they grasp at the time. And he would be killed. Well, maybe they just thought, well, everybody dies, right? But it's hard to think of the Messiah being killed. And they probably didn't hear this other part. They probably got stuck there. But three days later, he'd rise from the dead. So Jesus continually humiliated the religious leaders. And so consequently, the natural reaction is going to be what? They're going to butt heads. They're going to reject him. So if you read the text, next part of the text, Peter kind of spoke up usually first. He comes to Jesus and says, oh, wait a minute, Jesus. I uh, think I need to correct you here. Can you imagine correcting Jesus? I <laughs> uh, think uh, you're being too harsh. Um, and messiahs don't die. Um, so can imagine this is really confusing. Now, again, Peter's telling this 30 years later, so it's after the fact, and he's seen this happen, and etc. But at the time, and you know Jesus' response to Peter? Some of you know the text. Get behind me, Satan. You, you know, you're, you're, you're against me if you're not for this. Again, confusing. I'm sure he didn't understand. Now back to a, to a verse we covered earlier. Chapter 7, verse 8. For you ignore God's laws and substitute your own traditions. Now, this has been fun to talk about and hopefully fun to, to listen to, but okay, that happened 2,000 years ago. What difference did that make today? So, I'm going to do something here in the next few minutes. Let me warn you, it's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, if you're paying attention. <laughs> but I think, hopefully, at least somewhere along the line, there'll be an aha moment for you and me. So here's the idea. Is it possible that you and I have set aside the commands of God in order to hold on to our own human traditions, our own uh, loopholes, if you will? Now, let me tell you up front, I'm guilty of these. All right? Full disclosure. <laughs> um, I'm guilty. Number one. Do you ever try and figure out how close you can get to sin without actually sinning? I should say, we do that, don't we? There's a pleasure in sin. And so we want the pleasure part without ticking God off and try and find that balance, don't we? 
It's a silly game to play, isn't it? Because what is it uh, saying about the death of Jesus that we take sin so lightly? So that might be a loophole that you and I are guilty of. Secondly, do you and I, do we assume that there's some kind of ritual that makes you right with God while removing your responsibility to take thing, make things right with other people? One place Jesus talks about, hey, uh, you've got some, your brother has something against you. Leave your gift at the altar. Go straight, you know, make things right with that person. Then come back to worship. But we can come to worship and feel like we have a clear conscience because um, we confess it to God. That's our kind of loophole. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the Old Testament talks about, you know, as far as east and west, we'll talk about that when we get to point four. <laughs> so that's a loophole some of us use. Third one, do you feel guiltier about missing church, whether online or in person, or mistreating a person? Do you think God's happier with you when you come to church than he is if you make things right with somebody and <laughs> some wrong person you're wrong? Or is God more upset about you missing church than he is about you mistreating another person? And that's a loophole we've kind of, you know, I've come to, you know, I, I come to church and worship, me and God are good. Well, maybe not. Maybe a loophole. And this last one I just made reference to a minute ago. Do you, ban- you and I bank on the myth, because it's a myth, that God is a short-term memory loss. All right? I confess it, God forgot it, everything's good. Well, there have been a lot of the Bible that did, wouldn't be there if God forgot it, right? God can't doesn't forget anything. He's not limited by time. He could always go back. I mean, he exists in all eternity. God doesn't forget anything. And, and the reality is, that's more amazing that God loves us, right? Because he remembers all the garbage in our lives. And he still loves us. But we think, oh, if I just confess it, I'm off the hook. That's a loophole. And Jesus would call us all hypocrites for these and other reasons. So what is the law of Christ? Bottom line it, to love others the way God through Christ loves you. Let me ask you, hard to come up with a loophole for that, isn't it? No loopholes. So, you're not far. You and I are never far from God because His love for us, you and I, is never far from us. Again, repent and believe the good news. So, Are we willing to be honest with, am I a hypocrite? Am I trying to find loopholes? (laughs) Give you a think about, we've used this one before, but uh, it's really helpful when you're in some kind of, got some kind of dilemma or question, kind of bottom line with this. What does love require of me in this situation? Okay? What does love require of me here? And that kind of, simplifies things, doesn't it? In a lot of cases. And this is literally the marching orders for those of us who are called Jesus followers. If you're not, we're delighted that you're uh, uh, watching or participating. Uh, It's interesting. If you 
don't like hypocrites very much, you and Jesus have a lot in common because he didn't like them much either. So let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. I thank you for the kind of raw, raw truth of Scripture. And it's amazing that Peter would paint himself in such negative ways. The only reason he would do that is, obviously, this is what happened. <laughs> Jesus, I literally said to him, you're like Satan, get away from me at one point. Uh, God, I... I'm assuming we all have something to confess this morning. That we're guilty of some form of loophole religion. And so we, we ask you for, for your forgiveness. We ask for wisdom and help and courage to not do it anymore. Um, to not put our, <laughs> our loopholes over as priority over your law. Um, God, your laws are gifts to us. They are for our benefit. We shouldn't try and sidestep them. And for anyone that may not be a Jesus follower at this point, we, we pray that, that you feel that sense that God is inviting you. God is calling you. Hey, this, you know, I was a real person. This is really things that happened, and I did this because I love you. And no matter what you've done or how long you've done it, you're not far from a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Confess that, accept that gift, salvation. Um, when you do that, please, please let us know. Uh, for those of us that are believers, God, we are amazed that you love us, even though you see all the junk in our lives. That's the kind of love you have for us. It's completely unconditional. And that's how you call us to love one another. What a challenge, an awesome challenge is that. But awesome liberation. Thank you, Jesus, that you set us free. It's in your name we pray, amen.